0: Thank you and welcome to No Pressure to be Funny on the 26th of January 2014, created by Nick Revel and Alistair Barry and podcasting on the British comedy guide from our brand new venue, The Phoenix, in Cavendish Square, London W1. By the way, according to the Daily Mail, who do our audience research, most of you are either Romanian or Bulgarian. We were planning to have interpreters for you, but unfortunately they've all been arrested under the new law of looking at swans with culinary intent. (laughs) So you'll just have to muddle along as best you can. Some good news this week. The government is claiming a significant upturn in the British economy. And do you know what? For once, we are not going to get all knee-jerk lefty about this and dispute the figures just because they undermine our ideological position. In completely unrelated news, the Home Office are planning to supply every British police force with water cannon by the summer. (laughs) In London on Friday, a Metropolitan Police officer shot himself in the leg. He's in a stable condition in hospital, which is good news, and also means we can do jokes about it. (laughs) So, a Metropolitan Police officer shot himself in the leg on Friday... Sad news, and we wish him well, but at least in this case, we can be 100% certain that the guy was holding a gun when the copper shot him. (laughs) And uh, according to the Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police, Britain's returning from fighting in Syria may be put into a programme. Upon hearing this news, agents for Christine Hamilton, Kerry Katona and Peter Andre got in touch to ask, what what sort of programme is this? (laughs) And for the first time in 30 years, musical instruments have been played on Iranian television. 30 years. To think the X Factor only waited 10. <laughs> this is because Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, is skeptical of music. And while that may sound strange to Western ears, we've just heard a recording of One Direction before it was auto tuned, and we'd just like to put it on the record that we too are now <laughs> skeptical about music. Except, of course, for this man. And, oh, what a beautiful link that is. Mr. Paul Thorne. Uh, I've invented a new word. Um, It's quite a long word. It's um,
1: big fat fucking cholesterol bag. Um, Feel free to write it down, practice it. Big fat fucking cholesterol bag. Uh, Song by way of a definition. tax fat people for burden in the NHS. And you can tax rich people cos they're rich people, I guess. But i found a solution that'll get us out of trouble if you're rich and fat. Fuck it, you pay double cos a six-figure midriff and a six-figure salary means you're really neither burning cash nor calories. Let's double the rate for every double chin that sags and say pay up your big fat fucking cholesterol bag. In expensive restaurants if you're deemed overly large You'll be subject to a £15 digestion charge Then we'll throw a bit of irony into the mix We'll use the money to pay for the last Olympics Cos a banker with the bonuses and utter depravity With his man boobs losing the battle against gravity He's an overblown, dodgy PPI selling toe rag And what's more, he's a big fat fucking cholesterol bag. If you're a chubby chaser then with you I've got no argument Unless you're sleeping with an overweight member of parliament And he's standing on some soapbox panting and wheezing With his waistband crying out for quantitative easing And he's on my TV set like a video nasty Banging on about austerity and taxing a pasty Kick him out of bed, forget about the shag and say Oi Renard you big fat fucking cholesterol band. Big is beautiful and it ain't no sin to have love handles sponsored by Michelin. But if you're so big you should be paying ground rent and your salary puts you in the top 1%, then when the food runs out there'll be no violence, no disorder, we're just gonna eat you in the following order. Aristocracy, then MPs, then fat cat wankers, then captain of industry, then merchant bankers, then probably landlords, landladies, medical doctors, anyone overweight who runs away watches. Anyone who thinks they're in any way entitled to use the word guru in their fucking job title. Then religious leaders who prey on the susceptible. who thinks estate agents are in any way acceptable you say you want a revolution I'm not advocating that all I'm saying is eat the rich but only if they're fat, eat the rich only if they're fat eat the rich only if they're fat eat the rich only if they're fat
0: thank you ladies and gentlemen Paul Thorne Please, please keep that applause going for this week's panel. Miles Jupp, Sarah Pascoe, Nathan Caton and Michael Deacon. (laughs) Actor and comedian Miles Jupp is presently on a sellout tour entitled Miles Jupp is the chap you're thinking of, which is what we were doing when we booked him. In In fact, Miles, I'm afraid we weren't. We were thinking of Iggy Pop. You're very easily confused So we'll have to live with the the mistake Sarah Pascoe's hit 2013 Edinburgh show Saw her step out from behind The existential perplexity According to The Guardian Which probably says rather more about The Guardian Than it does about Sarah Uh, Award winning comedian and Radio 4 regular Nathan Caton has done many things In his stand up career But frankly as far as we're concerned Nothing tops writing for Rastamouse (laughs) Mouse. Yaman. <laughs> and, and Michael Deacon is the Telegraph's parliamentary sketch writer. He also wrote a TV review recently, claiming that Downton Abbey was a Marxist polemic. So, so God knows what he's going to think of Nick Revel's monologue later. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your panel. And uh, and before they get going, let me uh, introduce you to a a regular part of the programme that we like to call the Devil's Advocate. We'll kick things off tonight with this Devil's Advocate motion. The Devil's Advocate believes that gay marriage does cause floods. (laughs) Please welcome to the stage Alistair Barry. Thank
2: Thank you very much. I should point out for listeners on the podcast that I am wearing tweed, as it seems appropriate. The devil's Advocate believes that gay marriage does cause floods. Is it any coincidence as I sit down to write this that the heavens have opened outside my window? Aggressive atheists, you know the type, untidy people with an insolent insistence on empirical evidence. Aggressive atheists would probably claim that my use of the word heavens was unreasonable to begin with, even though they haven't. Nonetheless... (laughs) Nonetheless, it remains exactly the sort of behaviour I would expect. They wouldn't say that if I was a Muslim, even though I'm not, and they didn't. <laughs> I suppose the PC Brigade would tell me that I can't believe what I want to believe simply because there's no reason to believe it. <laughs> it's almost as if the PC Brigade were an imaginary entity I had invented to use in arguments to get everyone nodding like Pavlov's dogs when I said the words political correctness. Well, Pavlov's dogs didn't nod, did they? They salivated, which is disgusting, like homosexuality. But I can't say that, can I? Because of political correctness, which is an extremist ideology that serves merely to prevent us all from saying what we're really thinking as opposed to gently suggesting it might be quite nice not to be rude. Well, David Sylvester will not be prevented from saying what he thinks and, and for this I particularly admire him, for continuing to say it over and over again in the face of some pretty choice headlines and the scandalous way he has been abandoned by the party that is his natural home. And by natural, I do of course mean heterosexual. Oh, oh, you can attack him, but I can't help noticing a number of umbrellas here this evening. Hmm? You may mock, but 136 flood alerts have been announced today, and homosexual marriage remains a very real possibility, even though it is not, as we all know, technically possible. It takes a brave man to simply stand up and say this is what I believe and then when told to sit down again by his party leader to stand up and say it again until his party leader gets really quite cross because everyone's twittering or doing a Google or whatever it's called. It is instructive that he was disciplined not for his beliefs, but his insistence on repeating them, because UKIP is a broad church, as proven by perfectly sensible policies in its 2010 manifesto, including smart address in restaurants and pledging to return London's circle line to an actual circle. (laughs) And to those of you who say I have not provided any arguments to prove that gay marriage causes floods, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? Proof, as if proof were needed, that you didn't want to hear them anyway. I thank you. (laughs) Alistair Barry, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Michael Deacon, it's only fair to start with a Daily Telegraph journalist on the, on the panel because, because, I mean, it, it, there is a, a sort of a slight danger of someone like Alistair sounding like he is channeling the comments section under much of the uh, political journalism on the Daily Telegraph website. Are, are you uh, kept... not, just, not just below the line, but above it. <laughs> 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 it's, 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 Let's not
3: beat around the bush here. It, it, the, the thing is, you know, it is very easy to laugh at UKIP, you know, just because of all of the things they do and say. <laughs> but... But, let's look at the science here, shall we? Where all the flooding was over Christmas and the New Year, the areas that got flooded were areas of very high gay population, like Henley-on-Thames, <laughs> Somerset, Yalding in kent which you will all know is notorious as the gay capital of Europe, flooded, whereas roaringly heterosexual areas, such as Old Compton Street in London... <laughs> Dry as a bone. So you can mock all you like. But I think we should stick to the facts here.
0: Miles Jarp, is it, is it a joke that remains funny for you or, or does the increasing popularity in the polls... Well, I was going to say, give you pause. You may be delighted to see Mr Farage and Friends doing so well. Uh, no, I'm no- <laughs> I don't know why you'd think that.
4: Uh, I, actually. Uh, no, I, 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 I think they're sort of... Well, I think the danger of them is that, they, that people only treat them as a joke rather than people who actually have... Uh, very real support from certain people because that's more terrifying. I mean, they're clearly, you know, well, they're, they're sort of idiots. But, um, you know, the idea that you can, as you say, you can say something and people go, oh, that, that's offensive, so you mustn't say it again, and then he gets in trouble for repeating it, as if they've said, look, obviously, the main thing in UKIP, you can be as offensive as you like, but we always
0: have to play by the rules of just a minute. And <laughs> do you, Sarah, when you see a man like Nigel Farage, do you feel fear stalking your? Your heart?
5: Um, sometimes. I think mean um, you do have to be careful because um, there are people, and I've lived with one who um, think he speaks the truth. I don't want to be mean about her. Of course like, not. Because she was an empathetic, compassionate person who had no hatred in her, but she also thought some of UKIP's policies were sensible, or or a jumping-off point for discussion. What I think scariest is when I see the. the the video he did, the sketch, it was like something from Saturday Night Live like him doing the weather and I'm like don't get funny because <laughs> then that is scary, look what happened to Boris Johnson
0: right, well, there's, a, there's similarities uh, Nathan Caton isn't there between Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage in you know, that people sort of never mind the substance feel the style, these are, these are people who they have an air of the stand-up about them, and, and, and I don't mean that as a criticism. I think it's a wonderful oh, thing for a politician well, to have.
6: I would love to see Naj Farage doing a black gig. That'd be great. <laughs> do
0: you? Uh, do, 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 I mean, you genuinely sense a certain degree of intolerance behind the acceptable pronouncements of the party.
6: Um, well, to, to be honest, no matter what Farage comes out with, I just can't take him seriously you- because of his name, basically. <laughs> the name Farage, like Nigel Farage, that, that doesn't sound like, you know, your, your archetypal like, UKIP kind of name, does it? Like, if his name was like, kind of like the skinhead bulldog or something, that, that sounds more UKIP, but N- Nigel Farage, like, you know, that, that sounds more black than white. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, so like, an anagram of Nigel Farage is, for real, nigger. <laughs> I've done a lot of research to ridicule his name.
0: I don't know whether Vladimir Putin's been paying attention to British politics, but he does seem to be taking a slightly softer line on homophobia in Russia, on gay repression in Russia. This, this presumably, in order to guarantee lots of snow. ...for the Winter
1: Olympics.
0: <laughs> it's a difficult time for political satire, isn't it, really? When the real world is coming out with such, such sort of beauties. Later in the programme, we'll, we'll be reflecting on Ian Duncan Smith... ...comparing himself to William Wilberforce. Uh, <laughs> and the other great line from, from political commentary this week... ...was that only the Liberal Democrats could have a sex scandal... ...that didn't involve any actual sex. <laughs> which is quite an achievement. And, and I'm still not entirely clear. Michael, you better just, you better steer us through... Lord Reynolds, um well the story would do
3: um well um, the lib dems had to have uh, an inquiry or at least i don't know they might be on their fourth and fifth they inquiry about by, by now but anyway uh, a lot of women in the lib dems alleged that this uh, fat unpleasant man um <laughs> who i'm sure is otherwise a figure of the utmost integrity but anyway um had been uh, sleezing on them and touching them up and whatnot sexually harassing them and the uh, inquiry uh gave rather a confusing conclusion. It said that uh, all of the evidence supplied by these women was broadly credible, but there just wasn't quite enough evidence to prove that he did it Uh, Which means that the uh, Lib Dem leadership, Nick Clegg, don't quite know what to do. They can't really kick him out because they can't prove that he did wrong. But yes, well, this is what they this is what they said. Uh, Nick Clegg says he should apologise, but the problem is that Lord Renard is still maintaining his innocence. And if he were to apologise, that would be an admission of guilt. So what exactly could he say in this apology? I am deeply sorry for the things that I maintain I did not do. Mm. (laughs) I sincerely apologise for the distress that I am certain I did not cause
4: you.
5: So It's worse than that, because actually by saying that they're credible, but there's not enough evidence, what they're asking him to say is, I'm sorry you thought I sleezed on you. Mm. It's that.
3: So it's exactly that. You know, it was. I may have uh, touched you, but only accidentally. I was walking quite hurriedly down a recently polished corridor. The floor had been washed. Uh, I, I had some very important Lib dem business on my mind. I was uh, rushing along. I'm afraid that I slipped. To maintain my balance, I reached out to uh, grab the nearest thing's behind. Unfortunately, they were your buttocks. I'm very sorry. It could
6: not be avoided. It's all about perception, this whole thing, really. Um, he might have done something which, in his eyes, just like, you know, been a good colleague or, you know, whatever, been sociable. But, you know... <laughs> um, but, but when... Um, if... in. in put yourself in the female's eyes, you've got Lord and Lord, the big guy bearing down in you going, how you doing, love? <laughs> then it will look creepy, isn't it? Um, um, I, think, I think if anything, the girl should, should have maybe distracted him, going, oh look, Greg's is open. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is going to sound a, a, a little, I don't know, potentially embarrassing. And my wife's in tonight, so I, I'm taking my life in my hands here. But when I first started reading the story, yeah. I found myself thinking... Um, how does a man possibly establish whether or not he has a chance with a woman yeah. in in that sort of environment and, I, and I, the only answer I've come up with to that question is well in that sort of environment he can't even entertain the possibility that he might because I was yeah. thinking how do you I mean there's that streets track where it says if she's playing with her hair she's well into you or the fingers yeah. meet in the peanuts bowl but if you're Lord Renard yeah. it's been it's been a while <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, do the kids not eat peanuts anymore why is everybody laughing at me
3: Maybe what you could do, if you're trying to find out... If you're a man, you're trying to find out whether a woman fancies you, you could try using words instead of putting your hand up a skirt. I
4: mean, I assume he's a man with a complete lack of self-awareness that has been walking around for years thinking... People really seem to love it when I, when I spank them while they're doing the photo. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. I know they sort of tut and shake their heads and things like that, but I suspect that means that they're really rather enjoying it.
5: But if he defended, secretly
4: hoping for a cartridge jam. Yeah. They? So they're stuck there for fucking hours while I just keep going at it. <laughs> but
5: but if he defended himself like that and actually said, it's, it was never supposed to be aggressive or overly sexual, I thought it was a sense of humour thing, I thought it was a fun work thing we did, like you say then he'd actually defended his position, but he's kind of denying it at the same time as not... And having his friends write articles containing
0: yeah. phrases like uh, over the outside of the clothing, which well, The clothing, yeah. I think that's, that's the worst bit of it, the idea that it's all yes. right to grope someone if it's through clothing. Yes. I mean, what would the Lib Dems have made
3: of Jack the Ripper? Well, he was wearing gloves. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Staying with apologies briefly, uh, the Nicholas Elker of course, is refusing to issue one for employing something called the canal... The uh, apparently an inverted Nazi salute popularised by Mm. um, Dudone Mbala Mbala who is, I I don't think it's controversial to say he is anti-Semitic Anelka has aped one of his gestures that some people describe as anti-establishment but Mm. which some people also employ while being photographed at the gates of Auschwitz is it is it, I mean he's a footballer Anelka he's not like Steve Koppel or Frank Lampard he's not one of the footballers where people go he's got O-levels you know he's, he's, <laughs> he, so I've no idea wh- whether he's intelligent or not but it, it seems plausible to me Miles Chuck, that he, he just did a thing his friend does without having any inkling whatsoever of the offence it might cause especially in this country
4: I think a huge number of footballers behave during matches without really considering the wider political implications of what they're doing <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: Surely not. I, w- I worry that Anelka may be one of those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're not, you know, I mean, the, the, the notion that he should apologise, again, this is why we t- <laughs> t- tied it to the Lord Renard story, he should apologise while maintaining that he's not remotely aware that he's done anything offensive at
4: all. Well, as we're Sarah said, it's about, about perceived intent. You can do things without intending to be offensive exactly, and realize and that they are this is another offensive. thought
5: crime thing. This is, we're not North Korea, and we're actually trying to ascertain what he thinks about things so we can punish him.
0: Yes, so should he be punished <laughs> or not? <laughs>
5: I think, there's, unfortunately, there are really awful grey areas where some people do think things that other people, compassionate humanists, yeah. would think are horrific. But if you try and make that a crime, you end up in a society that none of us want to live in. How, have you ever...
0: Um, Miles pushed the envelope too far. Have you ever found yourself needing to either justify or, or apologise by way of a backpedal uh,
4: yeah I, I did a thing where I got I, I hadn't really I was hosting
0: an award, a charity awards
4: uh, do and people are you know you know quite um, <laughs> well intentioned
0: one would hope so
4: uh, one would hope so <laughs> and I you know I just try you just, I just try and think of jokes to do with what the people that are there and one of them was a charity that was concerned. I would, I would do a list, I'd go through the different people that were the different charities that were there and one of them was a charity involved with stalking and I said to such and such charity, you know, hello again. And uh, I mean, but, but I just I was just all I was doing was, was like this, I was just trying to think of jokes I didn't really consider I honestly didn't consider it beyond beyond that I just thought well hopefully that's a joke that will work because there's going to be 400 people there and I need to be amusing for 15 minutes that will be one of those things and then stupidly when I because it had got an, it a good response when I was you know like these, I, mean, I wasn 't thinking of the wider <laughs> list somebody me and elker i wasn 't thinking of the wider <laughs> implications, and I, uh, I then repeated it just when I was running through a short list that they were on, and then said it again, and it got the same laugh, but, and then they won. And they came up, and they, they came up, and they had a real go at me. Really, on well, in front stage. of everybody. Yeah, and you know, fair enough, really. Um, <laughs> I said, Christ, I just that story tailed off? <laughs> <laughs> the wor-
3: the worst, was thing was, was, off worst thing was, they wouldn't leave it there. They've been following you around, They followed you home, still berating you ever since. Oh, yeah. Did you say?
0: Did you say sorry, Mars? Yeah, yeah. They you said
4: you wouldn't you wouldn't find it funny if you'd been stalked, and I I dare say I wouldn't. I just, I literally hadn't thought of it having any implications beyond being a collection of words yeah. that would make people laugh. Nathan, have you, I
0: mean, sorry, this isn't probably the most cheerful avenue of conversation, <laughs> <laughs> but I could have led the panel down. And, have um, you ever caused anyone profound, profound hurt?
4: <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> <laughs> Where shall I start? Um, <laughs> no, at a gig? Um,
0: well, yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, on, not at home. Team, not at home, that, <laughs> would, that <laughs> would be, that'd be so a whole different instances. kind of show, wouldn't um, it?
6: No, um, at, at gig, um, yes, there's, there's been the worst case um, that comes to mind. I do. I was doing a charity gig, and I, I was comparing, and um, I wasn't getting. I was getting nothing from the audience, so I was, I was kind of panicking for materials for something to say. And then I asked. I, I said, oh, "Who's got kids here?" And the guy in the front went, "Yeah, I got kids." And I said, "A oh, oh, boy, girl, how old?" And he goes, oh, "I got a daughter, and she's 13. Um and what? so I was trying to think of something to say and then, I don't know why, but I panted and I just went oh, 13, the fingering years alright <laughs> no. No. no, no I know straight away, as soon as I said it I was like shit, why did I say that but, no, it was because I was struggling and my, you know like when you just, your brain is scrambling and say, say something quick and then you don't feel to it but as soon as I said it I was like, oh gosh, why did I say that, yeah. and I couldn't say sorry afterwards because I felt so guilty about having to go back up to him. Because I know I've, I've got a, a I, 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 under, I, Everybody understands. Thanks, that. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no, there's no uh,
0: that is... I, I mean,
6: in fact, let's move on. Sorry. <laughs> the, uh, sorry, sorry. I'm a nice guy, really. I was panicked, I panicked. The, the,
0: the, the, I'm going to invite back onto the stage now a gentleman for whom the fingering years are a very distant memory. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming back to the stage, Mr Nick
6: Revel.
7: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to offend anybody with this. I just want to talk about the London fireworks. Um, I think the London New Year fireworks were the absolutely perfect, uplifting start to 2014 in Britain. Beautiful, spectacular, sponsored by Vodafone. And I couldn't help wondering, as I was watching them, how... Did Vodafone manage to afford to pay for those fireworks? Because I think we all know they've not been doing too well over the last few years, have they? I mean, otherwise they wouldn't have had to spend all that time and effort employing international experts to dodge the billions and billions of pounds of tax that they owe this country so I think it's a testament to the selfless generosity of the modern multinational corporation that they put momentary joy for ordinary Londoners ahead of fixing their own dodgy financial situation uh, by, by dodgy I, I mean in the sense of precarious obviously rather than tax dodging inland revenue coercing vampire parasite blood sucking scum because that would be very judgmental not to say actionable, so so I'm not saying it. Uh, In case you don't already know, by the way, uh, you could not only hear and see those fireworks at New Year, you could smell and taste them as well. In fact, it was claimed that they were the world's first ever multi-sensory fireworks, but that's not true. They they had multi-sensory fireworks in Vietnam, called it napalm. But what these London fireworks definitely were the w- were the world's first edible fireworks. Yes, edible fireworks. Fireworks that contained food and flavours and smells. Peach snow, banana confetti, strawberry mist, firing food into the air for a party in a city where the number of people needing to use food banks has trebled in the past 12 months. Nice message. They have no bread? Well, let them eat banana confetti. <laughs> and as it crashes to the pavement, let them compete for it with the pigeons and the rats for our entertainment. Methinks I see the CCTV footage as a palpable hit series on Channel 5. Come Nero, come Caligula, take your seats and let the games begin. <laughs> All this, by the way, was the work of Britain's leading food artists. Yes, food artists. Yes, yes, food artists. And my partner here creates spontaneous interpretive dance events by pointing strobe lights at epileptics. But hey, it's a free country so if someone genuinely wants to describe himself as a food artist and devise ways of filling bubbles with orange flavoured smoke for a living that's just between him and his conscience who knows it might have been a dry run for something greater and nobler maybe right now they're standing on a hill in Lebanon those food artists about to light the blue touch paper on a huge row of enormous Roman candles packed with falafels and pita bread and sleeping bags which will then gently rain down on the Syrian refugees below. Now, UK Uncut and the TUC and various other bodies say that if all the corporations who dodge tax in this country did pay their dues, we'd have no need for any spending cuts at all. But I don't agree with that, because it's not true. Because it assumes that if the government had all that extra money, they would spend it on infrastructure and social welfare. And that assumes they're only making the cuts out of economic necessity, when in fact the real reason, and I have to use a technical economic term here, the real reason that they're putting into place all these spending cuts is sheer fucking spite. (laughs) Although in the interests of balance, uh, maybe the poor and unemployed are responsible for the recession and need to be punished because recently we crossed over the event horizon into a black hole and time is running backwards and we just didn't notice and effect precedes cause. Whatever the truth is, the government would not spend any of that extra revenue on helping the poor and the wretched and the unfortunate in this country. They'd spend it on water cannon, or encouraging foreign investment by hiring a hitman to take out Margaret Hodge, or making Michael Fabricant's hair look vaguely natural... Or on a great big marker pen so that Michael Gove can cross out every poem by Wilfred Owen in every textbook in every school in the country by hand or by giving language lessons to the civil service so that everyone who works at the borders agency or a job centre can say, fuck off in Romanian. (laughs) Banana confetti, strawberry mist and the stench of corporate bullshit. Thank you very much. Nick Rebel, ladies and
0: gentlemen, Nick Rebel. Uh, And Nick, illustrating perfectly that that, that difficulty I mentioned earlier about uh, how do you do satire at the moment when things like that are actually happening? Food banks are opening, and they're dropping banana confetti out of the sky. And Ian Duncan-Smith, as I mentioned before, really has compared himself to to the... the, the... I
5: know I've been a bit of a damp squid this evening, and I'm about to do it again. Did he... (laughs) Did he actually describe himself as like William Wilberforce, or did he say that the work they were trying to do was comparable to what William Wilberforce did? Um, Well,
3: Well, unfortunately for me, I was there when he was saying that. I hope to recover eventually. Um, What he said was that, you know, in conservative history, there have been some great conservative figures uh, who have campaigned for important social change, for example, William Wilberforce, and he said, we need to campaign for social justice now. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is to make poor people work for no money, because that's the opposite of slavery. So <laughs> I, I, I've slightly made up part of that. <laughs> he, he didn't say the bit at the
4: start, which is the bit at the end yeah. that he said. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's a slightly extraordinary figure, isn't he? Because he, he he's played it sort of quite a long game. He did when he when he went. Well, I didn't say when he went quiet, but he I mean he was quiet <laughs> when he was the leader, yes. wasn't he? I mean he went when he went sort of went deathly silent. He was you know. You'd occasionally there be a sort of feature piece about him, and he would be talking about his is it a th- was it a sort of think tank he was running or, or some sort of. Well, he went.
0: He went to to the northeast, I believe it was. Michael, you'll correct me where I, when, when I'm wrong. He he went to the northeast and encountered some poor people. For the, for, the, for the first time ever and
4: but I about going away for that sort of period of time and being even you, you sort of it was quite clever in a way because you, you almost forgot that he was a Tory really because he was he was just talking about social justice and all the, the time. Way that, like David Davies you sort of think yeah he seems like a reasonable guy what, what party is he oh yeah no one <laughs> yeah. of the things that he,
3: he said in this speech about how he was <coughs> Will, William Wilberforce was that uh, with the unemployed what he wants to do is and this is a quote reward positive behaviour, which I kind of thought made it sound a little bit like he was house training a puppy. Yes. A little bit. It's very easy to knock Ian Duncan Smith, but he has got a lot of radical, exciting ideas, you know, how to bring about social justice. For example, there's a new one, you may not have heard it yet. You may not be aware that at the moment, if you're unemployed, the state will basically pay you to be unemployed, they'll just give you money for not doing any work, and Ian Duncan Smith is going to put a stop to this nonsense. What he's going to do instead is fine you for being unemployed. So if you're one week unemployed, yeah. you've got to pay the government £100. For a second week you're unemployed, £200. Third week, £400. It doubles every week. Now there is an incentive to get back to work.
5: <laughs>
3: and I'm looking around the audience now. Some people are laughing, some people aren't. That's because you're not quite sure, are you, whether I've just made that up. You're thinking <laughs> you're thinking bloody IDS. You've believed it. And the thing is, that I'll, I'll be honest with you, I did make it up, but this show's going to go on a podcast. I know Ian Duncan-Smith loves the alternative of comedy so he's going to be listening to this and yes. he's going to be thinking that's a good idea this guy deacon's got his head screwed on right <laughs> and, 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 this
0: could be my political legacy this I, this will well uh, thank will you happen. And, and, and as if a perfect circle the difficulties that political satirists face at the moment when dealing with the realities that that michael has just touched upon
1: It's abominable, it's a scandal, it's a personal effrontery. I've never been so altogether outraged, I heard swearing on the BBC. It's obscenity, it's profanity, and it's language that I must condemn. If there's just one thing that made this country great, we only swear after 9pm. It all started when Dimbleby farted and said get a fucking whiff of that. Pudsy Bear whipped it out on air. Tinky Winky called Poe a twat. Then Fiona Bruce finally let loose on the antiques road show. She said, You're only interested in the fucking money, you whore. Take your shitty little vase and go. Then the weatherman said, It's gonna piss down in every corner of the British Isles. And I didn't like the grin on John Craven's face when he said the word country file.
4: It's the pollution
1: of an institution. It's the deathbed of the watershed. So the director general gave a statement to the press. These are the words he said: Oh for fuck's sake! Oh ass bucket! And shag me with a broken stick. Oh bollock chops! Fuck knuckle dog gob shite! And hit me with a dead dog stick. He said the reason for the vitriol, the anger and the bile is if we're all going down, we're going down in style The organisation is imploding because of what everyone in Britain seemed to know except us Despite all the rumours that we chose to ignore Despite all the whispers on the studio floor We've only just found out that for 40 years or more We've been harbouring
7: paedophiles
0: Thank you very much Paul Thorne, ladies and gentlemen. The case of Vasily Belia, the 63-year-old. I love this story, and I'll tell it straight, and I apologise if it, if it doesn't warm the cockles of your heart like it warmed mine. You know when you're on the tube and the, and the door's shut and the person you're with isn't on the tube and you are? So a chap came over from Romania, 63 years old, to visit his son, and that's exactly what happened at Stockwell. And he went AWOL for four days. Four days he disappeared for. What do you think he was doing, Nathan? Uh, trying
6: to put money on his oyster card, but it sounds a <laughs> bit. <laughs>
0: yes, no, he was he was <laughs> not working. <more> <laughs> <laughs> he, he he's turned up, so you can laugh, he's all very happy. Yeah. He um he, he decided to sleep during the day and move at night, and he got from Stockwell to Ealing via laundrettes and curry houses and just people very very kindly allowing this elderly Romanian man who couldn't speak any English at all to just sort of cool his heels in their shops and their, their, their places of business. He thought he would eventually recognise where his son lived, so he kept walking. I spoke to his daughter-in-law last week. She said it never would have happened because he was walking west and we lived south. So he would eventually have hit the Atlantic <laughs> without, the, without anybody intervening. I just, I just thought, you know, given all the stuff that was happening in the run-up to January the 1st when 29 million people were supposed to turn up...
3: You're all, you're all swallowing this story that he's a holiday maker. He's come over here, he's deliberately got lost, he's claimed benefits for four days. He thought, that's,
4: that's loads of
3: money, four days worth of benefits, right? I'll hand myself in now. And that's what all doing. You're talking about as if only a couple of them come over. There have been 29 million, but they're really good at it. They're so subtle, you just haven't noticed. They, they've they've, they've not just learned English, they've learned English accents.
5: <laughs>
0: Then why well, was it so easy to find? That's what I love about the story. If, if we were, if we'd been overrun, and then he turned up. They got a phone call, eleven o'clock Friday night, saying, "We found him." He just walked into a police station in well, Ealing.
3: As you well know, benefits in this country—it's about something like a million pounds a day. So after four <laughs> days, he thought, "That's that's me set up for life. I'll just <laughs> I'll make myself known. That's it. I'm going home."
0: Uh, and, and I, he was visiting his son so he was staying with his son of course the other big story to uh, to reach us this week involves the opposite happening and this is it used to be funny when you talked about kids never leaving home but now i realize this week this isn't actually funny anymore mars if, if you're 35 years old and still living at home there's a very real chance that you will never ever leave but you look at what property costs you look at what uh, Wages are doing. You look at what the. uh, I'm always
4: slightly confused by the phrase "living at home" because that is that's exactly where (laughs) I'm.
0: I mean, living at your your only ever home. If that makes me a criminal. um,
4: Where does that leave me? Living
0: with your mum and dad. A lot of them are reported to have left and come back, but there's an increasing number of people who've never ever left.
4: We, we did that three three years. Ago. Do you do you live at home? Yeah, I still home. Well. As you were. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. In the real, in his sense, not the conventional. Uh, and you always have.
6: Sense. Yeah, I've always been in my mum's house. You're quite. You're
5: very young,
6: aren't you? Mm, young. I'm not young enough to still be in my mum's house.
5: <laughs> <laughs> how old? How
6: old are you? 29.
0: Yeah, well, I said thirty-four, so you know you're all you're all right. Yeah. But but you presumably, when you were nineteen, didn't expect to still be living at home, living at your mum's when you were twenty-nine. No. <laughs> I wish for reminding me. Cheers. Thanks. I wish someone had told. I wish someone had told me we actually had a case study on the panel yeah. this evening. I, I didn't. <laughs> and, uh,
5: asking questions. Yeah, go on, I take it on. So, you step in. So I reckon you could move out if you wanted to. You've got a pretty cushy deal, have you, in your mum's house?
6: No, I pay rent. Um, I okay. cook. I wash clothes. I basically do everything that I would do if I had my own place, only I don't have my own place.
5: Okay, so is that because it works so well because then you're paying money to your mum?
6: No, just that I can't afford to get on a poppy ladder at the moment. Yeah. Does your but mother pay tax on the rent that and you... LAUGHTER <used? laughs>
4: I don't, I don't. I don't want to dig deep. I'm just interested to know: do, is it a bank transfer that you pay her, or is it a cash? Okay, is it a cash payment. Don't forget, whatever you answer can be cut out of the eventual podcast. <laughs> like my thing about illegally watching cricket. Uh, <laughs>
7: Everything's legit in my house.
4: I think you've answered all my questions.
0: <laughs> Michael, I know that your, your, your first child is on the way. Congratulations. Thank And, you. and not in any way wanting to rain on, on your imminent parade, but mm. have you contemplated the possibility that, that when your first baby arrives and you think fondly to yourself, well, that's 18 years of responsibility, as it could actually be the rest of your natural life?
4: Yeah. <laughs> well,
3: he's... um. He's not born till March, but we're hoping, you know, uh, we'll get him a summer job somewhere. There's the uh, Asda down the road. I think he's going to be looking for shelf
4: stackers over the
3: summer. So he's going to start earning his keep,
0: you know. I spoke to a young man this week who I suspect probably still lives with his mum and dad and will do for a very long time because he lost his job as a barman at the Shoreditch. No, the Tram Shed restaurant in Shoreditch. Very fashionable um, are you familiar with the work of Twiggy Garcia, Miles?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, any, any, anyone that calls himself a barman and DJ is absolutely sort of my, my kind of guy. <laughs> uh,
0: this, this is the barman and DJ who took it upon himself to attempt to mount a genuine citizen's arrest upon the former Prime Minister Tony Blair. Which, which is, yeah, I mean, quite admirable behaviour. I think, behavior, I think that's fair enough, but not while he's
4: eating. <laughs> how how rude is that? Considering, as well, it wasn't just eating. I mean, the guy was, he was paid to be a member of the service staff. I mean, that is absolutely... And he he's was, getting a share of the tips as well. That is he, he very, 2, very poor 000, form. He got
0: £2,222 for doing it from a website set up by George Mombio, a former panellist on, on this programme. Um, I'm just pointing out what high achievers we sometimes have on the, <laughs> on the panel, uh, which gives money to anyone who attempts to do a citizen's arrest on Tony Blair. So, Nathan... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so I got to go. <laughs> this is this is your this is your home owning problems dealt with, and, and that freaked me out. I thought, wow, what a what a principled idealistic young man. That's fantastic. And I don't know whether it's fair or not. When I found out he got two and a half, the best part of two and a half grand for it, it slightly changed my my perspective. Is that reasonable?
5: So if he had done it for free, you thought it'd be more respectable. Yeah.
0: Is did he know s-
3: about the prize money beforehand? Yeah,
0: he checked the website oh, before he did oh, it. Oh, I see. <laughs> Legend. Is that he's, still a legend? <laughs> he's still a legend.
3: Do you know what? I'm. I'm actually really angry about this because um, I on. actually met Tony Blair last year and I didn't know about this reward. So I, I, I had. I had the opportunity.
0: I've missed out on over two grand. Well, everybody knows about it now, and it's we'll you don't do now, just. Yeah. You don't just. I don't want to sound like I've been looking at little else since I discovered this financial inducement. But what you get, you get a quarter of whatever is in the pot at the time. So, obviously, for him to get £2,222, there must have been... <laughs>
6: Just just under nine grand.
0: Just under nine thousand
6: pounds in the pot.
0: If if everyone responds to this story in the way that I did first and think oh, I might I might give a few quid. If you sit tight for a fortnight and Tony Blair stays out of trouble, <laughs> Middle East peace envoy, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, Tony yeah. Blair stays out of trouble, there could be sort of twenty or thirty thousand pounds. Could be a rollover t- week on the arrest Blair <laughs> website. <laughs> he will never be able to set foot outside his own home again. Why really? does
4: it have to be done as a citizen's arrest, though? This is typical of this government thinking everything important has to be done by voluntary workers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that is is the big society in action. And it it also draws my attention to the fact that we've already overstayed our welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been no pressure to be funny. We're here at the Phoenix on the last Sunday of every month, which is February the 23rd, which might take you by surprise. So do join our mailing list at no pressure to be funny Dot com, and uh, please join me in thanking our, our, our hosts really this evening Alistair Barry and Nick Revel but also of course Paul Thorne, Sarah Pascoe, Nathan Caton, and Michael Deacon and Miles <laughs> Jupp This is no pressure to be funny I'm James O'Brien, good night and thank you